What's up, everyone? I'm Joe Pompliano, and this is The Joe Pomp Show. I hope everyone had an incredible weekend. The sports calendar is packed right now. The NBA and NHL playoffs are in full swing. But today, I want to talk about Formula One. The second running of the Miami Grand Prix was this weekend in Miami, and I was fortunate enough to attend. So today, we'll run through a few of the things that I saw there. I'll give you some behind-the-scenes stories about what was happening on the ground, and then we'll talk through the business case behind Formula One. And I'll break down how Liberty Media has made billions of dollars on this deal and some of the changes that they've done to the sport to enable them. So let's get right to it. All right, so most of you probably know by now that Formula One is growing a lot, really fast, in the United States specifically and all over the world. So last year, they had the inaugural Miami Grand Prix. It was the first time they raced in Miami. They signed a 10-year deal. It's at Hard Rock Stadium, which is Miami Gardens. It's actually like right outside of Miami, but that's neither here nor there. This was the second year running. I was fortunate enough to go last year and this year. Shout out to McLaren and OKX for having me at the race this year. The setup was incredible. And there was actually a lot of things different. So Max Verstappen won the race. He beat out his teammate Sergio Checo Perez. He now holds a 14-point lead in the championship standings from a driver standpoint. And look, Red Bull's running away with this thing. They have by far the most powerful and the fastest car on the track today. Fernando Alonso is in third, Lewis Hamilton's in fourth, and Carlos Sainz is in fifth. So there's three different teams after Red Bull, and we'll see what happens. But my guess is, obviously, that Max Verstappen runs away with this thing. Maybe Checo challenges him to some degree, but he looks on a planet of his own right now. The car is incredible, and we'll see. But I want to talk about the business of the event first, and then the sport second. The event this year might have been an even bigger spectacle than the first year. So the first year was crazy. It was hectic. It was like celebrity settings everywhere you could imagine in Miami. There was Carbone was hosting a $3,000 a head dinner on the beach. Michael Jordan was at the race. Tom Brady was at the race. You know, all these people were at the race. And this year, it felt very similar, right? So there was 270,000 people in attendance this weekend, which was actually 30,000 more people than last year. So they were able to expand some of the grandstands and move a few different stands around, and they got more people into the venue over three days. About 90,000 people per day attended the race between the practice, qualifying, and actual race day, 30,000 more than last year. Now, Dolphins owner Stephen Ross, who owns Hard Rock and is, is kind of the brains and the finances behind all of this stuff, he invested $100 million to build a brand new 190,000 square foot state-of-the-art paddock club. It was absolutely incredible. It was way different than last year. So I may have talked about this on the podcast last year. So excuse me if some of you have already heard about this, but the paddock club last year was just not nearly as nice. I had been to one in Monza before, and this one was nothing like it. It was very crowded. It was chaotic. All the other teams were on top of each other. The food provider was different than all the other races. And you got to remember, these are these are sponsors that are paying a lot of money to these teams to host people at these races. The celebrities are hanging out in this area. Extremely wealthy people are hanging out in this area. And people that go to many races throughout the year, and they expect some standard, right? Some level of standard and care at every single race. And to be honest, like Miami obviously tried, but it was a temporary situation. The time required to set everything up was not ample enough for what they were trying to do. And it wasn't very good. Now, this year was a 180. It was the complete opposite. They built this brand new permanent paddock club. Again, it cost $100 million to build. It's by far the nicest one that I've ever seen. Vegas will probably rival over it. They're obviously pumping a lot of money in that too. But today, I think this is like the gold standard. It was absolutely unbelievable. McLaren's club here was probably two to three times the size as the one in Monza. And just like everything was better. The food was amazing. The setup was great. It was right over the track. Everything was brand new. It was awesome. The paddock for the teams was obviously in the stadium this year, if you've seen that online, 
which was cool because it was a, a little bit easier for the teams to get over there. It was less crowded for them. You're not walking through a bunch of different people and stuff. But then the fans could walk around the stadium and see everyone. Right. So at a traditional race, it's a little bit harder to see the drivers in the paddock because you have to have certain ticket access to get around there. Right. You have to be VIP status of some sort or try to catch them kind of outside the track coming in or whatever it is. But fans were literally on the stands in the football stadium and were just watching. And they had some had binoculars, some had their phones out, some were yelling, some had signs. But you could see the drivers walking in and around the paddock, which I thought was pretty cool. It was a nice touch. And then from the celebrity point of view, there was like a bunch of people there. Elon Musk was there, Roger Federer was there, Tom Cruise was there, Patrick Mahomes was there, Serena Williams was there, a whole host of people. And quick tangent, funny story, McLaren set me up with a hot lap, which is basically you get in a car and you get driven around the track at high speeds and you kind of get the feel for the track and the car and everything like that. Incredibly fun. This was on Saturday. So I go to do it and they put me like third or fourth in line and I had an interview with Zach Brown, which you guys will be hearing about later this week. Set up for 12, this started at 1130. So I'm trying to get done with it really quick. And I'm standing in line. All of a sudden, this guy walks up to me and he's got two bodyguards. I'm like, who the hell is this? I turn. It's freaking Jeff Bezos. Jeff Bezos was in the car before me. He was with McLaren this past weekend too. And he was doing a hot lap. It was him, his girlfriend, one of his friends. And they jumped at the car right before me. And he, he was pumped about it. He got out. He was yelling and screaming. It was awesome. Mine was equally as awesome. My driver was Mika Heikkinen, which was just absolutely unbelievable. Obviously, a, a, a multiple-time Formula One world champion. He was going crazy, coming within inches of walls at 150 miles per hour. It was an awesome experience. Again, thank you, McLaren. But the actual event is night and day from what it was last year. I just thought it was much better run. There were signs everywhere last year. You couldn't tell kind of where you were going. This year was much better. There was water stations everywhere, which I know was a big point of emphasis. And look, they made a bunch of money. There was these cabanas that everyone likes to make fun of the fake marina. So this year they added water. They added two pools next to the fake marina. And they had six cabanas there that they sold for $67,500 each. And they fit like 10 to 15 different people. So they were splitting it up, costing about $4,000 per person. It included food and drinks and all this stuff. But they made almost a million bucks just off that on race day alone, right? And then you count everything else. They're going to make probably a hundred plus million dollars on this event every single year for the next decade. But now what I want to talk about is the business of F1, right? Because you see the Miami Grand Prix and you see the, the event pop, popping up in Las Vegas this year and you say, hey, look, US now has three races. That's more than any other country in the world. This is obviously becoming really popular. And I think the Miami race is a good way to level set. And it's a perfect example of just how far from the one has come over the last seven years. So let's rewind, right? Liberty Media purchased the sport for $4.4 billion at the end of 2016, early 2017. And the sport looked completely different than it does today. Now, it was a global sport, obviously. It's probably the only real global sport in the world. They raced in 21 different countries at the time, and they were doing nearly $2 billion in annual revenue. But viewership had dropped by about 40% during the previous decade. They had a bunch of problems with TV deals and they were expiring contracts and the infrastructure changed a little bit. And the total viewership of the races throughout Europe had dropped 40%. But more importantly, their 86-year-old CEO, Bernie Ecclestone, was seriously out of touch with reality. Now, I want to read you a quote here that he said to Campaign Asia Pacific Magazine in 2017. And it perfectly encapsulates just who he was and his thought process about the sport. And it's night and day between himself and Liberty Media. So this is the quote. Young kids will see the Rolex brand, but what are they going to do? Buy one? They can't afford it. Our other sponsor, UBS. These kids don't care about banking. They haven't got enough money to put in the bloody banks anyway. That's what I think. I don't know why people want to get to the so-called young generation. Why do they want to do that? Is it to sell them something? Most of these kids haven't got any money. 
I'd rather get to the 70-year-old guy who's got plenty of cash. So there's no point in trying to reach these kids because they won't buy any of the products here. And if marketers are aiming at this audience, they maybe should make sure to advertise with Disney. I'm not interested in tweeting, Facebook, and whatever this nonsense is. I tried to find out, but in any case, I'm too old-fashioned. I couldn't see any value in it. Now, I can read it again, but I don't think I need to. You couldn't make that quote up if you tried. Literally, if you tried. To be the CEO of a global sports organization that's trying to put itself onto more fans and grow and build revenue and do all these things, right? That's like straight up embarrassing, right? Like you just can't have that. So this is where Liberty Media comes in. They saw a sport, a global sport with hundreds of millions of fans that was drastically under monetized compared to their US counterparts, right? If you look across the US, we have the NFL, the MLB, the NBA, obviously. In 2017, Formula One was doing $1.8 billion in revenue. They had way more fans, way more fans, hundreds of millions of fans, way more fans than the NFL, the MLB, and the NBA. Yet they were doing $1.8 billion in revenue. The NFL was doing 13.6. MLB was doing 10 billion and NBA was doing eight, right? So they're doing four to seven to eight times to 10 times more revenue than Formula One, despite having a drastically smaller audience. Now, why is this, right? Obviously, you're under monetizing the audience when it comes to Formula One if you have a bigger fan base and you're not doing it right. Part of that is geographically, right? Like the US is the strongest economy in the world. It's the biggest capitalistic market in the world. The economy is huge. So there's more money to spend, all of that. 100% get that. But this is where the fun began for Liberty Media. So they come in in 2017 and they put forward a plan to reverse the effects of an aging fan base. And they wanted to build Formula One into a 21st century digital sports league. So they launched an over-the-top and OTT streaming platform called F1 TV. They then launched an esports series that saw 80% of its audience come in at less than 35 years old. They relaxed league-wide social media rules. Now, this is an important part. For those that weren't watching this sport previously, teams weren't allowed to share official race footage. Lewis Hamilton, there was a case where he was on Snapchat in the paddock and he got in trouble for it. I think he got fined, actually, for being on Snapchat in the paddock. They didn't think that the rights holders would be okay with not only teams sharing official race footage, but the athletes, the drivers sharing stuff on their personal social media accounts. So the drivers couldn't show highlights. They couldn't show photos. They couldn't do social media. The teams couldn't engage with their fans. It's a straight up disaster and completely the opposite of what you see today. So that was one of the big things that Liberty Media wanted to fix. They started allowing the teams and the drivers greater freedom to engage with fans online, and then they altered the rules, right? We've seen design changes over the last few years. And the reason behind that was simple, right? They wanted more overtaking. They wanted races to be closer. Now, this year is a little bit unique in the fact that like Red Bull is running away with this thing. It's pretty obvious that they built a car on the engineering side that's just drastically better than a lot of their competitors. But still, what we've seen is some of the effects of this car. There's less dirty air. There's more passing than there had been in the past or more overtaking than there had been in the past. And it's getting a little bit better, right? I think there's still ways to go, but it has certainly got a little bit better. And then when you look at the results, like of all these things in totality, they've been fantastic. All right, everyone, a quick interruption from today's episode to talk about our sponsor, Hyperice. So Hyperice is one of the fastest growing companies in sports. You've probably seen their products by now, but they are the official recovery technology partner of the NBA, MLB, PGA Tour, and UFC. And a bunch of different athletes all around the world are using their stuff, like Patrick Mahomes, Erling Holland, people like that. Now, I'm super pumped about this partnership for one reason. I've been using Hyperice products for years. I use their massage gun and their heated back wrap several times each week. Anytime I have a tough workout or my back's hurting me a little bit, I throw it on and it is a game changer for my health and wellness. I think the coolest part for me personally is that 
I can use the same stuff that professional athletes are using. The same thing that Patrick Mahomes uses on the sideline to loosen up his muscles, I can use at home. The same thing Erlen Holland uses on his back to loosen it up before bed, I can use at home. I think that's absolutely incredible and I highly recommend their stuff. So the best part is they are giving all of you, my podcast listeners, 15% off your order. So start recovering like a professional athlete today. Go to hyperice.com and use code Joe, 15 for 15% off your order. That's Joe, J-O-E, 15, all caps at hyperice.com. 15% off your order. Let's get back to today's episode. There's nothing that's been more important than their partnership with Netflix. I think that like goes without saying. Most of you probably know that by now. They launched F1 Drive to Survive with Netflix. Essentially what it is, is this is a docu-series, unscripted. They provide a behind-the-scenes look at the inner workings of the sport, right? So they, they show you stories. They tell you details. They give you a behind-the-scenes glimpse of things you would never see, right? The politics, the rivalries, all of that stuff, the skill. And it's been amazing. It timed up with COVID really well between the second, third, and fourth season. They're now filming, I think it's season number six, right? So things have gone really, really, really well. And the funniest part about this is like the teams were worried about this at the beginning. I think it was Mercedes and Ferrari actually refused to participate in the first season of the Netflix show because they thought it was dumb, right? They didn't want to give away secrets. They thought it was a waste of time. They didn't think it was going to be worthwhile. They told Formula One, we are not going to participate. Obviously, that has changed now. Every single team participates in it. Even Max Verstappen, who stepped away from a year because he was angry at the producers, is back now. These drivers have turned into legitimate superstars. They're basically movie stars, right? They're getting hounded by people. They have millions of followers on social media. It has become very important, not only for the team and the sport, but for them individually, right? When it comes to sponsorships and business opportunities. So all of them are taking advantage of this. And Netflix is currently filming season six. It has been a huge success, but it's had the biggest impact on the business of the sport. If you look at Formula One race weekends today, they're like music festivals, right? There's like concerts throughout the weekends. There's fan engagement events every single day throughout the day. There's hundreds of thousands of people packing every single venue just to have the chance, the chance of potentially seeing their favorite driver. And this entertainment first approach has attracted an entirely new set of fans. Formula One is the fastest growing sports league on social media. The average age of a Formula One fan has dropped from 36 years old in 2017 to 32 years old today. Again, the average age of a Formula One fan was 36 years old when Liberty Media acquired the sport. It's 32 years old today. So it's dropped four years. 32 years, for context, is drastically lower than basically every other major professional sports league. The MLB's average fan is 57 years old. NFL's at 50. NHL's at 49 years old. And the NBA's at 42 years old. So if you look across the four major sports leagues in the United States, the average Formula One fan is 10 years younger, at least, at a minimum. At a minimum, could be 25 years younger if you're thinking about Major League Baseball. And one of the things that I heard this weekend, which was absolutely mind-blowing to me, I attended a Wall Street Journal event that did a, a Formula One partnership accelerator. It was at the museum here in Miami, and they had a whole host of people speaking. Zach Brown, the team principal of McLaren, was speaking. Stefano Domenicali, who is the CEO of Formula One, was speaking. Greg Maffee, who is the CEO of Liberty Media, was speaking. Lewis Hamilton was speaking. There was a bunch of people. Everyone you would want from Formula One was there. And Stefano said one really interesting thing. He named two stats. He said, one out of every three fans today for Formula One didn't watch the sport four years ago. One out of every three. So 33% of fans that like Formula One today and watch the races did not know or did not watch the sport four years ago. So that's how many fans they've added over the last few years. And 40% of Formula One fans today are women, are women. Now, for Formula One fans, that may not surprise you a lot. If you go to a race or whatever, you see a lot of women there. 
obviously when we're into the sport, my wife has become a huge fan of the sport as well over the last few years alongside me. It's been incredibly fun to do that stuff together, but this has changed, right? And I think more importantly though, adding a lot of fans is important, but the type of fans is even more important. You see, Formula One didn't really exist in the United States before Liberty Media acquired the series in 2017. Now, they had the United States Grand Prix running in Austin, Texas for several years before that. I think it started in 2012, so it was like five years before that was running. But there was like little to no national coverage. They were averaging a couple hundred thousand fans per year. And this wasn't like a whole host of things where like all these celebrities go. There were certainly a few, but it wasn't nearly as big as it is today. And the average form of the one race at the time had less than 500,000 viewers in the United States that year. For context on just like what that viewership would equal. Last year, Major League Soccer MLS averaged 343,000 viewers for its 34 games on ESPN and ABC. So look, that's a little bit less than what I just said for Formula One, but they're in the same ballpark. So if you think about Formula One when Liberty Media acquired the series, it was essentially what MLS is, right? And how many of you watch MLS? I know there's a bunch of you that probably do, but there's also a whole host of you that don't care about it at all, right? And I think Formula One was in a similar boat. And that has completely changed since Drivers Drive came out and since Liberty Media took over. We now have three races in the United States. Three races. We went from having zero. There was a period of time where there were zero races in the United States, and we now have three. There's obviously one in Miami, there's one in Austin, Texas, and there is going to be one in Las Vegas this year. Now, there's a few different things that I want to talk about when it comes to this. One thing that Liberty Media did really well that was just incredibly smart was they gave the rights, the broadcasting rights, to ESPN for free. Liberty Media literally gave them the rights for free. They said, take the rights, just play all of the races on your channel. We want the distribution. We want you to talk about it on social media. We want you to promote it and we will grow this thing together. That was incredibly smart because then ESPN came back the following year and they said, okay, we'll pay $5 million for this. It's growing a little bit. We think it's interesting. We can sell ads against it, you know, related properties. We're not going to do ads on the race, which is making it a little bit more difficult, but we can make money on this. We want the viewership. We want people talking about it on social media. So they pay $5 million. Now they're paying $75 million a year, $75 million. So they went from doing it for free to $75 million per year, all within the last decade, right? Since Liberty Media acquired the sport. It has been absolutely instrumental in the growth of the sport here in the United States. And if you look at the viewership, ESPN has obviously benefited as well as one of their big partners. These races were averaging, like I said, 500,000 viewers per race beforehand. Now they're averaging 1.2 million viewers per race in the United States. This past race, uh, the Miami Grand Prix was on ABC. Monaco is going to be on ABC too, I think, right? So they're putting these net, these shows on their big channels. They have teams now that are going to the race. ESPN was broadcasting live from the Miami Grand Prix this year. Obviously, it is really impressive what has happened with the sport. It's growing like crazy on social media. The viewership numbers are absolutely insane. And the easiest way to think about it is that there's like on any given year, depending on if races get canceled or they add whatever, just think about it as like 20 to 25 races a year. And each one of them is a Super Bowl. It's a Super Bowl, right? Because if you think about the NFL, the NFL is obviously watched by a ton of people here in the United States. The Super Bowl gets about 100 million plus or minus viewers in the United States, more abroad, but most of that viewership is concentrated in the United States. That's a Formula One race, right? Because it's distributed globally. So it's the only real, truly global sport in the world. These players, these athletes have become absolute superstars of the drivers, and it has become huge in America. One of the things I also want to talk about is the Las Vegas race. So they just set up a race in Las Vegas. It was a, a one or two year deal to start, I believe, and then they extended it. They actually got passed by the city council in Las Vegas to now they can do it for up to 10 years, I believe. And the important part about this is it's a different model for Formula One. So for those that don't know how Formula One operates today, 
it's like a really asset light business. They just go out and they basically lease the rights to the race or rent out the rights to the race to track holders, right? So take Miami, for example, Hard Rock and the people that own Hard Rock, Stephen Ross and his team, they pay Formula One a host fee. This could be anywhere from like, I don't think Monaco pays anything or maybe it's like five or $10 million today, but it's a really small amount because they're historically just like grandfathered in. But other tracks will pay like 40 to $50 million a year to host the race. And you work with the FIA and form the one. There has to be a standard and all of this kind of stuff that you have to uphold. But then you go out, you handle the food sales, you handle the merchandise, you handle the sponsorships, you handle the ticket sales, you handle all of that, right? And it's basically like eat what you kill, turn it into what you can. And Miami has obviously done an incredible job of that. Some people say some of the stuff is cringe, whatever, right? But like, that's how the business works. I don't blame them for trying to maximize the profit. Liberty Media is obviously trying to grow the sport in the United States specifically, but also all over the world. And at this point with three races, I don't think they're going to expand, right? Some people are looking at New York or California or other places like that. And my guess is they probably don't do anything for a long period of time. Now, Liberty Media has joked in the past to some degree that they would be up willing to do up to 30 races per year. But they're actually saying that if you look at the comments where they've said that, it's about the appetite for Formula One. They're saying we could host 30 races per year, but I don't think they're going to do that. It's a logistical nightmare. It's an absolute logistical nightmare. They plan these things years out in advance. They use boats, they use cars, they use airplanes to transport this equipment around the world. They're in time zones, different time zones every single week. It's an absolute nightmare logistically, and I don't think it's going to happen. And I also think that they would probably add a race in Africa before they added another one in the United States. They obviously have three in the United States. They have one in Canada. They have one in Mexico. They have one in Brazil. Those time zones are taken care of at this point. I don't think they're going to add anything else. But the interesting part about this is that Las Vegas is hosting this themselves, Formula One is. And what I mean by that is this. They're going to do it all, right? They've got some partners in on it with them, but they're not just going to sell the fee. They're building a permanent paddock club in Las Vegas. They paid hundreds of millions of dollars for this big plot of land right off the Las Vegas Strip. It's going to run parallel with the track. Obviously, you're going to have the pits right there. You're going to have the paddock club, and it's going to be similar to Miami in the fact that it's going to be a permanent structure. It's going to be brand new. It's going to be a hundred and something thousand square feet. It's going to be incredibly nice. And they're investing hundreds of millions of dollars into this project, if not close to like a billion dollars at this point. And what I think is going to happen is they're going to see that they can make an incredible amount of money by doing this stuff themselves. And I think that opens it up to the fact that there could be more of this in the future, right? If you're former the one and you're saying, hey, look, we're leaving hundreds, if not billions of dollars on the table by not doing these races ourselves and not hosting these races ourselves, maybe that's something they start trying to do more of in the future. I don't know. That's pure speculation on my part. But at the end of the day, the most fascinating thing about this is the economics because no one has made more money on this than Formula One. If you look at Formula One today, the stock, again, they acquired it for about $4.4, $4.5 billion in 2016, 2017. It trades at a $16 billion market cap today. So again, $4.5 billion, we'll call it to $16 billion today. Absolutely incredible, incredible, incredible growth from Liberty Media and the Formula One series as a whole. It's really impressive what they've done. And what have we seen? Every single sports league in the world is now trying to copy this strategy. It feels like Netflix, Amazon, Hulu, whatever, is opening up with a new sports documentary giving behind-the-scenes access every single day. We obviously have the PGA Tour with full swing. Tour de France is doing one too. There's Chevrolet across the Premier League. The NFL is like the OG of this with hard knocks. People forget that's been going on forever. But again, this is really, really impressive from Formula One. I had an incredible time at the race. Again, I was able to interview Zach McLaren, who is the team principal, and he's the CEO of McLaren Formula One. He's actually the CEO of McLaren Racing, not the 
you know, he's not running like the day-to-day when it comes to the drivers. He basically looks at it as all individual businesses. They have IndyCar teams. They have all these other racing teams. And he manages all of those teams as separate individual businesses. Now, we talked for like 20 to 30 minutes in the paddock, and I recorded the entire conversation. And it was awesome. So this is going to come out later this week. So keep an eye out on this podcast feed. I will give you guys an update and tell you on Twitter and the newsletter when it goes live. But you will enjoy it. Trust me. We talked a little bit about kind of like how the business of Formula One works, how he does partnerships and how he works with the team members that he works with today. But then I asked him a whole host of fun stuff. I was like, what separates the good drivers from the great drivers? I asked him what his biggest mistake was as a team principal in Formula One. What else did I ask him? I asked him a bunch of stuff. I asked him like how it works with Netflix, kind of how they follow him along during a race. I asked him what a day in the life is for him, like kind of how he works throughout a day at races, but also back in at home and kind of at the factory in the office. It was awesome. I think you guys will really enjoy it. But if you take one thing away from this podcast, get this. Liberty Media acquired the series for $4.5 billion in 2016, 2017. It's now trading at a $16 billion market cap. The way they did that is simple. They went to the people. They did a digital first approach. They changed the racing. They changed the way the events are structured. They approached social media ferociously. And they have turned this series around. And they've done it in the United States. There's now three races in the United States. It's the fastest growing sport in the world. And even more specifically in the United States, which is the biggest economy $20 trillion plus GDP country with an economy that is six to seven times larger than any European economy. It is the most significant market when it comes to growing a sport monetarily. And they have clearly placed a premium on this. I don't think this sport is slowing down anytime soon. We're going to see Las Vegas pop up this year. And my guess is that race eventually becomes bigger than Miami. I hope you guys learned something this episode. We will talk later this week. And as always, Thank you for listening to the show. Please do me a favor. Make sure to share this podcast with your friends if you're enjoying it. The bigger the podcast gets, the better content I can continue to make for you when it comes to guests and access and all this other stuff. So share with your friends and make sure to subscribe to the feed, whether it's on Google, Apple, Spotify, whatever it is. Subscribe to the feed so you get these episodes automatically sent into your library and downloaded. It is a huge help when it comes to growing this podcast. So make sure you do that. And secondly, have an incredible week. We will talk later on Wednesday.